following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, We are in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. It's good to be with you this morning. um, It is fall. The campgrounds are closing and the people are coming back. So welcome back. Um, You know, you can camp and still come to church. Just saying. You can get mad at me all you want, but God's word. (laughs) Colossians 3. Um, Verse 1 is where we're at. And we are going to kind of team teach uh, Colossians 3. And by we, I mean John and I are going to tag team. So this is going to be the first part. And then John's going to come next week and he's going to, um, tell you everything that I did wrong and then fill in the gaps. So uh, we're, we're excited about looking at this passage together and having the opportunity to do that. Colossians 3 is really a, a fascinating chapter in the Bible. And as we open up God's word, we know that all wisdom is from God. All wisdom is found in Christ. If you would go back to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you. He's praying for the church of Colossae because he is imprisoned because of the gospel. And he can't do anything for them except pray. And in verse 2 he says that your hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love to reach the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge. That's what it means to be wise in Christ. He says, I want you to understand what God's mystery is all about. This Jesus whom he hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There's people in our society right now who want to persecute you and tell you that there's another way. But there's no other way except Jesus. And so Paul pushes against this church, this Colossian church. And he says, I want you, if you go to verse 6 to continue in Christ in chapter 2. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you're to walk in Him. You're to make sure that you line up with Him. Then you'll be rooted and built up in Him, and you'll be established in the faith just as you were taught. And you'll be thankful. You'll be excited about it. You'll be happy about the fact that you're in Christ. Furthermore, if you go to verse 8 in chapter 2, he says, you'll be able to kind of diffuse these false teachers, these worthless philosophies. Because you don't live underneath Old Testament Jewish law. You live under the joys and rewards of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, not holding fast to the head. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about not going away from Christ, making sure that you're solidified in your relationship with him because the whole body finds nourishment in Christ. We're knit together because of Christ. We grow because of Christ. And all that, he says, is from God. 
And now, because you are in Christ, we get to chapter 3, and Paul is going to start to unpack what it looks like to live like Christ and set your heart on heavenly things. He's going to talk about what it means to put to death sinful worldly practices and clothe yourself with Jesus. And in other words, he's going to talk about what's life-giving. Let's put off the sins of the past and let's put on a new life in Christ. And so Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we start to see two traits of what it looks like to have a new life in Christ. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, there's a little white book that you can pick up. It's in the front of your pew and the gospel is there. Read through it. Trust Christ today. Make the best decision you've ever made. Repent of your sins. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, it'll make a whole lot more sense than it did before. Because now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, as many of us do, because the decision that we've made to follow Christ, where Paul says, if then, you have been raised with Christ, if you have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, then you're now going to, this is a command, this is an opportunity and an obligation, to seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Look up. Look up at the seated right hand of God. Set, so he says seek first, then he says set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, because he's coming back again soon, do you know that? When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Well, let's look at that first trait that Paul talks about, this new life in Christ. What does it look like for me to walk in the ways of Christ? Last week, I said the person who believes in Jesus Christ can do whatever they want because they will find themselves wanting to do the will of God. One of our other deacons texted me in the week and he says, how does it feel to tell a congregation of people they can do whatever they want? (laughs) And I said, it's not easy, but it's the word of God because we'll seek to follow doing the Lord's will when we immerse ourselves in scripture. Because now I don't look at life without a lens. I look at a life through the word. I start to see life as it is. It's like God is constantly revealing things to me when I study his word. We're partnering chapter 2 and chapter 3, but in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, If with Christ you died, you died to the elementary spirits of the world. Then Paul asks a question, and I'm going to ask you the same question this morning. Why are you still operating in functioning with the world? Church, why do you still have a relationship with the world? Pastor Jordan, why do you still have a relationship with the world? I've asked myself that all week long. Why do I find the world so fascinating when the word is so enriching? Paul says, since you, he's talking to believers, have died with Christ or died to the world and died to sin, and have been raised with Christ, and have a responsibility to live in such a way where your hearts are seeking the things above, why are you still so infatuated with the world? 
That's a good question. And most of the time, if not all of the time, the answer to that question is because I have not immersed myself in the word. As believers, we do not just accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior and let go and let God. We do not come to Jesus and say, okay, I'm just going to let God do what God wants to do. Our lives are to be dominated by heavenly patterns. So the first thing that Paul says in chapter 3, verse 2, is he says, set your minds on the things that are above. The first way to eliminate the world and start to see life through the lens of Scripture is to set your mind on things above. Twice, Paul says, we seek. That word seek is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 18 as a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. Set, on the other hand, is to concentrate. But it's not just to concentrate on anything. It's to concentrate on the things that are above. This is a life that is centered on the risen, ascended, glorified Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. It is used 12 times in scripture. So what he's saying is seeking suggests striving while setting implies concentrated effort. So, brothers and sisters, ready for this? If we are in Christ, we are not passively living in this world. We are concentrated, striving to keep Christ as the divine authority and on the divine authority seat of our lives, for he has defeated the forces of evil and death. It takes a concentrated striving to keep Christ on the authoritative seat in your life. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 says it a little better. It is the fixing of our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. If you and I could do something this week that would radically change our lives, it is every time that we look at something that is earthly, we would say, this is temporary. Doesn't matter if it's an actual thing or an object or doesn't matter if it's a situation or circumstance that we are experiencing. We need to say after everything that comes our way, this is temporary. I want to binge watch this Netflix documentary. This is temporary. This is a good use of your time. This cancer that's rotting away my body. This is temporary. And so I have to recalibrate. I have to refocus. I have to refix My mind on what is unseen, which is eternal, not what is seen, which is temporary. Setting our minds on the things above is a concentrated striving to be daily dependent upon Christ, keeping him on the divine authority seat in your life. However, let's keep this passage in context. Remember, we're building a bridge between 2 and 3. And in Colossians 2, Paul speaks about false teachers. So what he's doing is he's furthering his point by not encouraging a kind of Gnostic, moralistic disdain for material things, but warning us to be careful. Be careful, church, what you set your affections on in this world. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And as it starts to look more and more like Christmas, the words from my kids come more and more often, I want for Christmas. And this verse in 
2 Corinthians just really comes to mind because as a parent, I start to think to myself how useless some of my kids' wants are. Amen? And then I think to myself what God thinks when I tell him I want. He says, do you really want that thing? Do you really care for that thing? It's just temporary. And sometimes I look at God and say, yeah, I do. (laughs) At salvation, a believer died to evil. This is the flesh or our sin nature. In our life, as Paul says to the Colossian church and going to community gospel in chapter 3, verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Circle the word hidden. It's a really interesting word in the Greek. New Testament's written in the Greek, Old Testament, and Hebrew. It implies concealment or safety. It also means invisibility and security. And while we're not yet glorified, we are safe in Christ. As Christ is now our very life. Sometimes we hear this. We hear somebody say, music is my life. We'll hear another person say, sports are my life. And we'll hear other people say, I live to go to work. Okay, not so much the third. But such a man who finds life and meaning in music and sport and work finds life outside of Christ. For believers, Christ is our life. He is our everything. So Paul starts and he says, set your mind and your heart on things which are above, not on the things which are of this world. So we evaluate everything under the lens of scripture and the cross, considering the love of which Christ gave himself up for us. So I would ask in any earthly endeavor, is what I'm about to participate in going to honor the Lord and would Christ be glorified that he died on the cross for this endeavor? I have to consider every single thing Every single choice that I have made of whether or not the love of which Christ gave himself up for us is worth it. The world's wealth, ambitions, activities start to become apparent of what their real value is. They are worthless compared to the glory of Christ. So when Christ appears at the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, believers appear with him and they'll be glorified. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As believers will be glorified as he is glorified. So the way that we apply the first part of this passage is, Asking ourselves the question constantly, is what I'm about to think, is what I'm about to do, or is what I'm about to say last for eternity? In marriage, in relationships, in any sort of economic endeavor, is what I'm about to think, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say will it last for eternity and bring glory to God? If the answer to that question is no, then the solution is simple. Just don't do it. 
As believers, our attention isn't through a lens of culture and what culture dictates. It is always through the words of our creator. It is always through the lens of scripture. And so Paul carries on in verse five and he moves into what this looks like. The more you bury yourself in the word of God, the more you put to death, verse five, what is earthly in you. And as if the Colossian church forgot, Paul starts to run a list. Things like sexual immorality. I can feel the people in the pews at Colossae, which they didn't have, sink down, right? Or start to look around. Impurities, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. He pretty much got the whole church in one fell swoop. And on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, he says, you once walked, which I think is fascinating, that word, you once walked. You once walked when you were living in them, but now you must, must is a command. You must put them away by seeking and setting your minds on the things that are above. He's speaking like a father here to his children. He's, he's saying this for their good. It's not so that they'll be upset with him. He's saying, I'm doing this because I love you. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in this new image, there is not a Greek or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. In Christ, all is all and all in all. So he's saying, let's seek and set putting our old self to death. Let's talk about this. Paul's wording regarding moving from life to death is like taking off old dirty clothes. I will not mention any names, but some people, namely anybody over the age of 16, needs to renew their clothing. Amen? I came in here for the fourth and fifth grade retreat, and I realized how much it smelled like feet. And I thought, do these kids ever get showers? And then I realized my kid was one of those kids. I realize what a horrible parent I am. But that's what the wordage is like. If you read that, verse 5, it was like the people would have immediately thought about taking off dirty clothes, earthly sin, and putting on new clean clothes, this act of righteousness. When it says put to death, it's a decisive action. It's almost like Paul's saying do it right now. Since God has already made us dead to sin, the earthly nature, old self, old man, whatever you want to call it, Paul gives a list. Now, I'm going to run through this list rather fast. But this is the list that Paul gives of the traits of the old self. See if you can identify any of these in your own life. Raise your hand slowly when we get to one that identifies you. I'm just kidding. Do not raise your hand. You don't need that. Or we could just all raise our hands and keep them raised, right? He says, this is who you once were. And this is who a lot of us think we still are. He says, you were sexually immoral. You had behavior, sexual behavior between people, but also in your eyes, you watch things that you shouldn't watch. You were impure 
in regards to being cruel because of those sexual matters. You had excessive use of sexual humor. Furthermore, you had passions and evil desires. There were some inward emotions in you, evil habits of the mind that aroused by some external object, in this case, anything impure. You had passions and desires that were cravings that didn't rest until they're satisfied. Your old self was a slave to sinful passions and ungodly desires. Furthermore, he says, you covet, which is idolatry. There's pagan idols. There are things in your life that you substitute for God. There's anger, a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness towards God and others. There's wrath, which is an outburst of rage because of that internal anger that manifested itself in your words and actions. You think malicious thoughts, mean-spirited, vicious attitudes and dispositions. The sin is not only viciousness towards other people, but also you're vicious towards God. You once were a slanderer. You railed or spoke evil because of the anger that you had. And furthermore, there was obscene talk that came out of your mouth. You were shameful and abrasive with your speech. You got a dirty mouth. And you lie. Believers, in Jesus Christ, our whole purpose and striving is to be truth tellers, to be pure in speech. For truthfulness is essential in following the one who is the truth. Notice in verse 6, because of these evils, the wrath of God is coming. Meaning God's wrath has already begun and it will culminate in the future. Now this is funny. Because I remember uh, when I did the Reserve Academy at Kosciuszko County for the police department. We did uh, pepper spray. used to pepper spray people all the time, which is stupid. And uh, you had to get pepper sprayed in order to pepper spray people. I don't believe in that, by the way. I think that's ridiculous. But they, they did. And so the guys would go through the line one by one and they would pepper spray them. And it was cold. It was like in the winter. And uh, the guys, you know, just guys would go through and, and they'd get pepper sprayed. And then they'd go and cry or whatever the case is. It's a horrible endeavor. And um, then it was my turn and I realized that I had drawn a crowd. And I thought, how did I get so popular? And I realized right before I got pepper sprayed that the guy behind me said, I can't wait until he swears. And I realized everybody that was there was there just to hear me swear. They're like, he's going to swear. I swear he's going to do it. You swear he's going to swear. So before they pepper sprayed me, I said, dear Lord, please help me not to swear out loud. (laughs) And I didn't thank the Lord. But it was funny how... These individuals wanted so bad to see the manifestation of the old self. We cling to that. We, we love that. Because what it does is it puts us a little better than that other person. Look at verse 7. As believers, we used to walk that way. We used to live that way. We used to participate in evil ways. And then we came to Christ. And everything changed. All the lying, all the other vices that are inappropriate for a believer at the moment of salvation were discarded by our old self. Now, I didn't say we don't struggle with those things. I didn't say that they're completely removed. Sometimes God gives us a thorn in our life that we need to harvest dependence upon him for. 
But we need to tell ourselves all the time that those are the things of the old life and strive to rid ourselves of such things. This is the seeking and the setting our minds on the things above. I am not who I once was. I am now who Christ says I am. And so when Paul says that we are striving to rid ourselves of such thing, that word rid means to put off, again, like a suit of clothes, throw out the dirty shirt. But how? Verse 10. Believers are to put on the new self, to put on a new way of life or a new disposition, a new conduct in accord with their relationship with God through faith in Christ. Through constant renewal and refreshing to stay victorious over sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, this is what Paul tells the church at Corinth. You are being renewed day by day. Paul tells the church at Rome, you are being transformed by the renewing of your minds. Paul tells the church at Ephesus, you are to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So what does renewal look like? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, partners really well with Colossians chapter 2, which partners really well with Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Imagine that, that's how the Bible works. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. That your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach the riches of the full assurance of understanding, and here's the word again, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So the renewal of ourself is found in the knowledge of God. Believers become like the Lord, refreshing their new natures by constant yielding to the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work, believing that he can do what we expect him to do. That's where we stop. We only trust Christ so far. Because we look at Christ and we say, I trust you to the point where I am able to do what I am to do. But, but, but God looks at us and he says, the Holy Spirit is like a light. And it shines into dark places and it exposes dark sins and it leads us to repentance of those dark places because those are the places that we can't work but God can. And so the Holy Spirit is like a lamp. It illuminates God's word. It teaches what is true. It reveals what is precious. It throws a spotlight on Christ so that we can see his glory and be changed accordingly. And this is where we're dependent upon God, his Holy Spirit and his word. And we're dependent upon God's church, which is other people. What you are unable to do yourself, God can do through his power and his people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, and we all... With unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. As he shines this light in the dark places of our life, we're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. And let me just tell you something, church. It is okay to cry tears when the world and its ways leave you because it is hard. Because you once loved that thing, but now you're leaving that love to a better love. You're leaving that love to a better love. Savior. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
This is all because of being in Christ. Alistair Begg talks about Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, which says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's talking about the renewal of our minds with the knowledge And Paul gives us the answer here. He encourages us to build our framework for thinking on the basis of what is excellent and praiseworthy. Begg gives, to that end, six foundational virtues of a Christian thought life. He says the first is truth, which comes from Ephesians 6. It's the belt of truth. It has to be fastened on before any benefit from any other aspect of the armor of God. We have to be grounded in God's truth, his knowledge, which is given to us. And so here in Colossians, as well as Philippians, the truth is found objectively in Christ and experienced subjectively as we proclaim the gospel to ourselves and others. It comes first. The knowledge of God has to come first. Then he says, second, Paul directs us to whatever is honorable or noble, as some translations have it. We fasten our minds on that which is majestic or awe-inspiring. It's the opposite of contemplating that which is immoral and earthly. As believers, we're not to feed our minds on trashy entertainment or similar trivialities, he says, which preoccupies so much of our secular society. Instead, we're to think about that which lifts our souls upward towards God and his great works. Third and fourth, Paul calls us to make decisions based on what is just and what is pure instead of what is convenient and gratifying. It was this way of thinking that distinguished Joseph from David in otherwise similar situations. For when Joseph was pursued by Potiphar's wife, he made the decision to run from her on the basis of what was right, not what was easy or instantly pleasuring to him. Church, most things that you find instant gratification for are not of God. David, on the other hand, followed his feelings and committed a great injustice in sleeping with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband in 2 Samuel 11. Being a saved person does not immunize us from ungodliness, which starts in the mind and ends in sinful actions. Thinking like a saved person does. Beg continues, he says, fifth and sixth, we are to think on whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable based off the knowledge of God's word. Or as it is translated in the King James Version of what is of good report. When we think this way, we will listen to reports that build people up as opposed to reports that tear people down, disappoint them and destroy them. This is the mindset that promotes brotherly love and accomplishes God's grace as it works in our lives. So in the knowledge of God, we tailor our thinking to the pattern that Paul provides and make sure that we occupy it with prayer. And you will have very little room left for anxiety. That peace-disrupting, joy-destroying state of mind which often creeps into your life. You have anxiety often because you are immersed in that which is of the world and not that which is of the word. You have anxiety often because you are struggling with sins of this world that you desperately do not want to let go, but God wants you to eliminate and destroy. Instead, we train our minds to think God's thoughts after him, and you can experience an increased measure of his peace and of his presence. 
Now look what happens in verse 11 of Colossians 3. Here in this place, after all this is done, when you welcome the Holy Spirit into the process, when you strive to see clearly and acknowledge your sin, when you accept God's truth, when you adore Christ as Savior, then, then we can be sure the Holy Spirit is at work within us according to do his good purpose and for God's good pleasure. Then, he says, it is here there is not a Greek or a Jew or a circumcised or uncircumcised person, a barbarian, a Scythian, a slave or a free, but Christ is all and in all. And what he's saying here is, he's saying when we renew our self, we remove any sort of distinctions among us. And we are all in the same fight and we're all on the same page. In Christ, distinctions are removed. There's no more Greek, there's no more Jew, there's no more religious, uncircumcised, uncircumcised, cultural, foreign, Greek, all those other things. Scythian is a wild, savage nomad. Regardless of who you once were or where you once came from, in Christ, you are a new creation. You need to tell yourself that this week. With a new self, all barriers are destroyed in Christ. All believers equal. And so it is expected of each believer, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their former self, culture, economic standing, whatever, to do away with the old and embrace the new. There's a missionary pilot. His name was Bernie May. This is really interesting. Essentially, they did an interview with him and talked about the places that he would fly into and all of the trouble that he went through. And they talked about the narrow landing strips that uh, he had to fly into. And he said, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. He said, when I was starting to leave being a pilot, I had to start to train other pilots. And when I started training other pilots, one of the most difficult lessons to teach a new pilot about landing on a short hazardous airstrip is to keep their eyes on the good part of the strip rather than to focus on the hazard. He says it's really hard to get people to, to focus on, on the good and not on the bad. And when I was reading that, I, I amened a little bit. The natural tendency, Bernie said, was to concentrate uh, not on the obstacle or the danger that you're trying to avoid. But as he continued to fly with these young pilots, he would say experience would teach them to keep their eye not on the hazard. Because if they did keep their eye on the hazard, sooner or later they would hit it. In other words, instead of concentrating on the sins that you want to avoid or that you struggle with, we're told to focus here by the Apostle Paul on specific Christ-like actions and pray to God for a Christ-like desire to be accepted in the Beloved. We're told to discard old ways of thinking and acting and put on new ways of living. And it's on the screen here, but essentially Bernie really sums it up well. He says, experience pilots, which we could change to believers. Focus our attention solidly on the track that we want the plane to follow, which is Christ. And we keep hazards in our peripheral vision only. And when Christ and his interests are the focus of our lives, the lure of the old life remains in the corner of our eyes. But we aim to land squarely in the center 
of God's will. May our aim be to land squarely in the center of God's will. Heavenly Father, since we have been raised with Christ, we ask that you would help us to seek the things that are above, where Jesus is at. We believe that he is at the right hand of God. We ask that you would help us to set our minds on the things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. For we know, Lord, that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and our life is hidden with Christ and God. We long for the day when Christ appears. We pray as a church, even this morning, come Lord Jesus, even now. We long to be with you in your physical presence and glory. We long to have glorified bodies. We long to no longer struggle with sin. God, we ask that you would help us to put to death what is earthly in us. Help us to remove sexual immorality and impurity, evil passions, desires, covetousness. We know that to participate in those things simply expedites your wrath. We know those things are things in which we once walked. But we don't want to live in those things anymore. If there are people here, Lord, who don't know you as Savior, I pray that they would confess of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus to come into a relationship with you. And I know so many of us who are gathered here today <clears throat> have done that. And so I pray that because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we believe in, that we put our faith and trust in, that you would help us to put away anger and wrath and malicious thoughts and slander and malicious talk. Help us not to lie to one another, to seek the other person's best. For you have given us a new self, God, and we are so thankful for that. You are renewing us in the knowledge of your word, and shaping us back into the image of you, our beautiful creator. We thank you that Christ is all and in all. Lord, we just ask and pray that we would daily depend upon you and you alone in our thought life, in our actions, and in our words. We would continually ask, is this what brings you honor and glory? Will this keep our minds fixated on eternal things. In your name, in your name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the contribute tab.